Hi there! You're listening to the Poldark Podcast, a fan cast about the hit TV show. But before we begin this week's episode, let's introduce ourselves. My name is Michelle. I live in the States. I Tumblr at Poldark Muses and I tweet at Musings. Hi, Delanda here. I live in France. I blog on Tumblr at British Lisa and tweet at Delanda Dia. My name is Rita. I live in England. I Tumblr at Princess of Poldark and I tweet at Rita Bites. In this week's podcast, we'll be discussing and recapping episode 6 of series 4. The episode aired this past Sunday on BBC One, but we know that we have people listening all across the world where it's not aired yet. And so we warn you every damn week to beware <laughs> of spoilers. Uh, our discussion, and in particular our recaps, are very spoiler-filled. So if you haven't seen it, please come back after you have. As for the rest of us, let's begin the show, as usual, with a recap of episode Woo-hoo! 6. Start our episode with another day and another letter from, from the Honourable Member for Truro to the Mistress of Nampara, who strolls along the beach as she reads. Smash cut to why Ross still lingers in London. He's riding with Caroline along the Serpentine, who is annoyed, as only Caroline can be, by the fact that she'll be dining alone that evening. Ross had a date with the Prime Minister. Pitt <laughs> appreciates his efforts. But it will not be passed. Why? Because too many of our members deem it in their interest to keep the small man in his place. Then I must ask myself why I became a member, if not to change that. Your impulse is sound, and I believe its time will come. In the meantime? Take care of those you can. Help those who cannot help themselves. Pitt then offers the first of this week's heavy-handed reminders that Ross has yet to invite Demelza to London. Hashtag Ross is a neglect. S-O-B. <laughs> Back to Cornwall, where Demelza runs into Dwight at the harbour. The first time she's seen him in three weeks. Oh my god, a time reference. Someone fetched the smelling salts. <laughs> He's been quite busy uh, helping Dr. Vahina with the preparations for the new hospital. Unfortunately, Caroline has remained in London and shows no sign of returning anytime soon. Up the road at Warlegan Bank, Carrie looks a bit smug. Seems that Nathaniel Pierce has finally shuffled off the mortal coil. George is as eloquent as ever with his sympathies. How unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) Complete with a head tilt. Uh, Hashtag shade. Uh, Meanwhile, Harris Pascoe attends the wake and speaks with his daughter about the situation with the embezzlement, although he's far too kind to call it that. Pascoe's is the guarantor of much of the money's lost, but if they withstand any other terrible financial strains, the bank will remain sound, pinched yet sound. Enters Joan's husband, Sinjin Peter, a distant cousin of Ross. Juice glad I trusted him with none of my capital. I hope you're keeping it safe, sir. Rest assured, Sinjin, your entire marriage settlement remains untouched. Now, whenever a character you've never heard of pops up and lays down what may seem like a random piece of information for everyone gathered, foreshadowing alert. Awooga! <laughs> Awooga! <laughs> So back in London, Rush shares the deets on his dinner date with Pitt as they stroll along Vauxhall Gardens. Caroline considers the Prime Minister's words to be considered a mission, something Ross cannot bear to be without. He seems a little taken aback that Caroline would think such a thing about him, 
dude, pay attention to your own damn storylines for fuck's sake. Cue the appearance of Jeffrey <laughs> Charles, who clearly hasn't learned much from his previous dabblings with life in the fast lane, chugging what appears to be brandy, and he winds up with a woman in his lap who slaps a big old kiss on his chops. Another premature gut purge threatens. Ross is hesitant to intercede until he spots the figure of Monk Adley sitting amid the group gathered to witness the spectacle. Oh, shame on you, Poldark. Kitty will be disappointed if you cannot stand to attention. Mission accepted. Ross gathers his dolt of a second cousin up and walks him out there, all the while listening to droll taunting from Adley. Back to Truro, where it's daytime. Don't know if anyone else noticed that. Sorry. <laughs> Carrie and George are toasting to Nat Pierce's demise. Carrie, however, suggests it might be time for George to write up another one of his classic anonymous <laughs> letters to scare the locals. It comes to the notice of a well-wisher that you entrust your savings to Pasco's bank. I must inform you it is on the verge of insolvency, owing to the criminal activities of Pasco's accomplice, Nathaniel Pierce, who has been permitted to embezzle funds entrusted to him. I therefore advise you to withdraw your deposits from Pasco's bank without delay. He is forced to stop dictating when Elizabeth enters the room. George may think he's slick, but Elizabeth knows the look he gets in his eye when he's plotting and scheming against Ross or his interests and asks. George denies it, cleverly, by saying there was no mention of Ross in the letter. But George, being George, can't help but ask why Elizabeth should bring <laughs> up the name of his unrequited, we mean arch nemesis, giving her an opportunity to do a bit more gaslighting, light to reinforce her schemes. She's gotten very good at this, don't you think? A+. plus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ross is scribbling a note to someone while Caroline, who's come round his rooms for tea, Wonders if Adderley has any idea who Jeffrey Charles' stepfather is. Ross is like, shrug emoji, and thinks some distance from London might be in everyone's benefit. Meanwhile, Demels is picking apples and berries with the children in a truly idyllic moment uh, when she receives word from Zaki about... Uh, Pierce's death. You could picture little question mark bubbles dancing around her head at this news. A little more prodding reveals that both uh, he and Ross banked at Pasco's, and because of Pierce's embezzlement, there's the possibility of a crash. Meanwhile, a floating body. It's Drake, and he's not dead. He's just pretending. Hashtag very sad reader. You have no idea, you guys. Sam awaits him on the beach. He's not convinced that the blacksmith shop will be saved, so he's offered Drake a place to stay with him in Seoul. Because I'd not disrespect Rosina by showing my face there again. I'm minded to start afresh. Maybe list as a soldier or go to sea. Morwen is dead to me. And I'll not injure Rosina more. So I'll see what may be salvaged here and then I'll be on my way. Meanwhile, back at Trenwith, Elizabeth is struck with a sudden bout of dizziness. She begins to realise that she must be pregnant, but does not tell George the news when he notices her paleness. I have to admit that George's doting upon Elizabeth is quite lovely to see. Later, however, she watches Valentine play by the fire. Elizabeth remembers the conversation she had with Rost at the church. To seal George's trust, she must give him another child, and perhaps fudge a little on the date. 
Meanwhile in Seoul, Morwenna is looking pretty horrid herself, and who can blame her when her monster-in-law barks out her name as if she's summoning a servant wrench? Seems Morwenna has asked to have Dwight call upon her, although why, ponderous Cruella de Whitworth, is beyond her. She even goes so far as to insist on staying in the room during Morwenna's examination, but you can trust Dwight to put the kibosh on that nonsense. Morwenna seeks oblivion, and they have a moment of shared understanding for all that they've both endured during their respective captivities. Dwight encourages her to look towards the future and to leave the past behind her. Morwenna, however, which is it or only that easy to do so. Back in Seoul, Sam runs into Rosina and is amazed by her defense of his brother's actions. It was not a whim, so. Free loved she afore he ever saw me, and when she was witted, he felt he must go to her, so I respect him. I don't respect her. She's free now, yet she've turned him away. If she truly loved him, why did she so? He goes on to ask a favor that, wait a second, what does he ask? Too late. We are on our way over to Demelza. Remember her? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Demelza and Zaki go to Pasco's to withdraw money for wages and witness their friend attempting to head off a run on his bank. They overhear that if all the old clients start pulling out long-held deposits, things will go south quickly. Filled with empathy during her meeting with Pasco, who thinks she's there to withdraw the entirety of the Poldark savings, nearly 3,000 pounds, or uh, 230,000 pounds in today's money. Woo! God damn! Um, they rich. Decides to ride over to Falmouth's house for a chat. Forgive me, my lord. I rightly understand these things, and dearly wish Ross were here to help, but in his absence, it's the end of the month, and I went to draw money to pay our wages, but I found I could not. You mean Pascos could not pay you? No, I mean I could not withdraw it. If I do, it will encourage others to do the same, and Pasco has been Ross's friend these 20 years. Surely now is the time to put money in, not draw it out. She goes on to ask for a loan, at first 2,000 pounds, nice try, and receives a check for 800 pounds. Falmouth cautions that the money is to be used for the mine, not to prop up Pasco's bank. Smash cut to a carriage rumbling along along the moors. Ross, Geoffrey, Charles and Caroline are heading back to Cornwall. I'd like to point out that the CGI is worse than something from the 40s. What's going on? <laughs> Geoffrey Charles, trying to wave off his adventures and asks why Ross couldn't have been his stepfather. <sighs> Jesus, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> Honestly. Ross tells the boy to retain George's favour. Once the kid falls asleep, Caroline wonders which man Francis would have preferred to be Geoffrey Charles' stepfather. Ross says neither, but admits he would he could never have made Elizabeth happy, and requires a wife who is able to, quote, dirty her hands. Ugh, cute outrage from the fandom. Why are you like this? <laughs> I mean, just... Is that all she's good for? <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. I Yeah, but she has other qualities. He needs to mention them once in a while. She does. Coming from his mouth, it doesn't sound flattering. <laughs> it really doesn't. 
I know. <laughs> really doesn't. He, he, he is a sarcastic, quippy bastard. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Hang on a minute. There's Demelza, marching up to the bank with a bag in her hands. She makes a great show to the crowd gathered of being there to make a sizable deposit. Seconds later, she addresses Zaki, who confirms he's also there to make a deposit. Prudy and Sam follow suit in a bumbling, bubbling manner in what will go down as one of the most hilarious scenes from the entire yeah. series. Yeah. Being mm-hmm. sure the bank is safer than Bugmin Jail. There is head nodding all around, but will it be enough? Drake, meanwhile, has gathered all he could from the ruin of his shop, which consists of a little tiny bag, and is making (laughs) his way out of town when he comes across Rosina sitting along the cliffs, looking beautiful and serene. Didn't she look gorgeous? So gorgeous. Uh, She tells him that she's not ashamed of what happened. Uh, and that she can't bear for what has happened. So if she can be that way, so can he. Ha 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 ha! This is the favor Sam asked of her. Uh, this woman deserves satehood. Uh, anyhow, Drake turns and walks back to town. Sam and Drake lug the rest of the latter's belongings. Now there's a whole cart full, so go figure. What happened? Um, what? And what? <laughs> what? They drag it all to Sam's place and are accosted by Tom Harry 2.0 and Jacka Hoblin. Uh, before Hoblin can come up with more threats, Sam accuses him of arson. <laughs> the expression <laughs> on uh, Jacka Hoblin's face was perfect. He's, he was just like, what? Huh? <laughs> I was like, yes, dude. That's what they call when you set fire to someone's house. Anyhow, Sam reminds the old man that Rosina has forgiven Drake. And now you've returned, you'll not lay a finger upon him. Will I not? No, for if you do, you'll have me to answer to. And though the Lord do exhort us not to vengeance, for my brother's sake, I will repay. Meanwhile, Carrie and George are scheming again. Seems Pasco is clinging on to hope, all because of the scullery maid. <laughs> Well, that can't stand now, can it? Enter St. John Peter, remember him, that unknown foppy boy from the top of the show, with whom do you think he has outstanding loans? Well, those are being called in, you see. How on earth will St. John pay these back? By withdrawing the dowry money he's had at Pasco's, of course. Awesome. Doesn't take long for Pasco to close their doors. George is all but running out of the door to be the first one to inform Elizabeth. Dwight is preparing to leave Kilwarren for another night of work on the on the hospital when he is stopped by the vision of Horace and Caroline standing at the end of the walk. Dr. Ennis. There's a terrible shortage of good physicians in London. I was obliged to come to Cornwall to find one. Do you have an appointment? I'm afraid not. Do you think you might fit me in? He answers her with a long, loving kiss and a smile. (sighs) She asks if Dwight could forgive her. Dwight, being the most awesome husband on the planet, tells her that it was what she needed, so there was nothing to forgive. Yes! He's so awesome! While George heads back home from Truro, Ross delivers Jeffrey Charles back to Trenwith. He and Elizabeth share a toast to their friendship, 
what the fuck? (laughs) And she tells him she thinks George is up to some kind of scheme against him. What's new? In the end, Elizabeth tells Ross she's truly content with her marriage. As she walks Ross to the door, Valentine calls out to her. It's the first time Ross has been in such close proximity to the child, and he shakes the boy's hand. Long, way too fucking long lingering glances are shared between the two of them before the boy is led away. I'm having to restrain myself right now. Anyway, (laughs) before he leaves, Ross asks Elizabeth if she thought any more about the conversation they had at Soul Church. Oh yes, she certainly has. As one coach leaves, the other arrives, just as George asks who is leaving. Conveniently, Geoffrey Charles speaks up, providing the cover she needs. Meanwhile at Empara, Demelza is berating herself for the decision she's made in the banking clusterfarb. Ross arrives, shares a loving hug and kiss with Jeremy. <sighs> a lingering smooch with Demelza before declaring that while she may be a little thinner, she is no idiot. And instead, she is worth all of Westminster. I mean, thank you, finally. Yes. Ross visits Pasco to find out the details for himself. Pasco shows Ross an, un- an anonymous note from a, quote, well-wisher that was sent to 50 of Pasco's most prominent clients. Pasco's liabilities will be assumed by Bassett's bank, and Pasco will become chief clerk, a massive step down from where he is now. Well, that won't do. Ross rides all over, attempting to draw capital support for his friend, with no luck, and returns home dejected. Ross asks Demelza for her opinion. (gasps) What? Oh my god. I know. (laughs) First time ever. We're partners, are we not? As your partner, I think first you should tend to your stomach. And then maybe tomorrow you could beg Dwight Caroline for a loan to pay our wages. And maybe see if Sir Francis is what to suggest. My thoughts entirely. The next day at the mine, Demelza offers a half day off for the miners as a way to say thank you for their patience. And we'll have food, drink and a bonfire at Nampara for all to come and enjoy. Ross shares the anonymous letter with Sir Francis, who is quite disgusted by it. Most of the clients would be willing to work with Pascoe's once again if Bassett would finance the restoration. The loan would take forever to repay. Ross proposes Pasco be brought on as a named partner to the new amalgamation. That's not going to happen. Ross reports back to Demelza like an errant schoolboy. I mean, he was standing there like shuffling his feet. Anyhow, he reports back that the meeting ended before Bassett could toss him out. She reminds Ross of what the prime minister told him and that they should focus on what they could do. So they throw a big party at Nampara with a surprise of fireworks from the miners as a thank you for the Poldark's generosity. Meaningful glances are exchanged between Drake and Rosina. All of this is witnessed by Sam, who then asks Drake if he will go and try again with Morwenna? What the ever-living fuck? Where did that come from? From Debbie. Uh, elsewhere, Caroline strolls along the ships in town with Demelza, ensuring her that Ross is behaving himself while he's in London. 
Demelza wonders if Ross prefers keeping the distance between them, leaving him unencumbered. Caroline suggests Demelza join him in London. He hasn't asked, and she suspects he never will because he likes her to be in Cornwall. Uh, this is strangely reminiscent of the conversation she has with Verity about whether Ross loves her. Smash cut to the infirmary opening. Ross promises Demelza he will not congratulate he will not congratulate George on his coop, despite his desire to do so. And oh my god, who should be presiding the event but Reverend Hulse, aka Ross 1.0, aka Robin Ellis. We were wondering when we would see him. Throughout his eloquent speech, we see glimpses of Elizabeth and Moenna both looking as if they're about to keel over. The latter gets a dressing down from her mother-in-law, George is scanning the crowd when he catches a glimpse of Ross. Their eyes connect and George is the first to look away. So romantic. Kerry, though, sees it as an opportunity to gloat in sidelong whispers. This next scene has so many storylines running in rapid succession that it's hard to keep them all straight. All things meant to build to the upcoming storm. Ross and Dwight talking about giving people fish versus teaching them how to fish. Charity versus hope. An uncomfortable greeting between Bassett and Pasco. Pasco encouraging Caroline to visit him at Bassett, Rogers and Co., where he will be chief clerk. Hulse asking about George's return to Parliament and learning that George no longer requires patronage because he owns the whole damn borough. <laughs> yeah. Hulse asks Ross about his experience, and it's just the kind of light that would set off the fuse. A confrontation erupts between Ross and George over the bank failure, and the latter swears to have the th former thrown out of Parliament. In the chaos, Elizabeth falls faint. George calls, I should say, he kind of screams for his carriage, um, and uh, Ross and Demelza quickly depart. Uh, Dwight examines Elizabeth at home, where she's said she's been feeling fine. Just fine, thanks. He asks if she might be with child. Why, whatever gave you that idea? <laughs> Meanwhile, over at the vicarage, Drake has turned up once again to tell her he loves her still and asks if she will take him. For Moana, there is no hope for them because she's with child. Dun dun dun! Of course! Back at Bassett's, Sir Francis rereads the note, recognizing the language, writes a letter which arrives at Nampara while Ross and Demelza are Monday morning quarterbacking the Rumble, the contents of which we're not privy to, of course. Caroline tells Dwight that she wishes to return to London, even though she's been home for weeks. Another time reference! But this time, she wants him to join her. Another romantic fireside kiss. <sighs> I swear, Caroline is giving me life. Hashtag couple goals. Then we get another time reference. A week has passed and Elizabeth's nausea hasn't improved. So George has called for Dr. Choke. Joy. Bassett has a meeting of the banking partners and extends a welcome to their new partner, Harris Pasco. What? Not only that, <laughs> they have another new partner. Captain Poldark. We see Ross and Demelza walking <laughs> along the beach with Garrick. Shout out to Garrick forever. Yes! Anyway, talking about how everyone wants to attach their <laughs> names to Ross's and offers him all kinds of inducements. He So he suggests declining one such inducement that was extended to him. The use of a, squ a swanky carriage to take him to London. 
along with his wife. Yes, he's asked her to join him. God, it's so cute. So they are getting into the carriage at Nampara, leaving the kids, Caroline and Dwight, behind. At Trenwith, George comes into the room with Choke's prescriptions, which sound utterly horrible. Elizabeth is finally forced to let the cat out of the bag, and George's response is so effing lovely, it almost made me forget how much we loathe him. Okay, or I loathe him. It was really so sweet to to see him just completely falling over Elizabeth with joy over the news. And in the midst of this gloriousness, sweeps an evil bat in the form of Carrie Morleggan, who breaks the news of the formation of the Cornish Bank, which incorporated Pascoe's and now has two new partners, including Ross. George is so over the moon about the baby that he brushes this news completely to the side. Smash cut to Ross shaving at a mirror in London. A rather new Demelza sleeping almost swaddled in blankets. She's shocked to find herself in such a state at such an hour, full sun up. The most delectable interchange takes place between the two of them, and Ross, being the teasing gentleman that he is, declines to hand her her nightgown and tells her to fetch it herself. As our mummified Demelza makes her way towards the garment, Ross, Ross steps on the tail of the sheet. A laughing Demelza hits the floor and Ross pounces. No, you can't have me. Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> You're my prisoner. My present to be unwrapped at leisure. Tell Mrs. Parkins we shall be down in an hour. Or two. I thought you liked me best in Cornwall. The Melza in Cornwall is a wondrous thing. But the Melza in London is even better. End of episode six. Can you believe it? We only have two left. I know. Okay, so discussion. Did you guys like the episode? I thought it was all right. But again, it felt more like set up for the final or like next week's episode than anything else. And I have to say, the way these past few episodes are structured are a bit odd to me. I feel like a better ending would have been Ross asking Demelda to go to London, but they just like sped right past that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you about the ending. You know, as much as I effing adored that final scene, I think ending it where he asked her to go would have been the thing to do. So we can start next week's episode with a full-on Romelza fest. Uh, that said, I really liked the episode much more than last week's, which seemed to just go on forever. Um, there's so much story to tell, and it feels a bit bouncy uh, to me. What I wouldn't give for a 12 to 14 episode run for this, for this show. I really think that it would be bliss to see this stuff kind of breathing more. If only. Uh, uh, for me, I did not understand half of the episode, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> there was too much uh, banking stuff. Uh, but I enjoyed seeing more of Sam because uh, I like Tom York. Uh, but because the scenes revolved mainly around Drake, I was like, man, yeah. why? Uh, <laughs> but still, um, I loved seeing more of him. 
I loved the final scene uh, between Romelza. Um, but because we cannot have too much happiness between these two, I assume next week we'll introduce new oh, of course, obviously. <laughs> of course. Of course. So, I know. <laughs> Can't let them just be happy. So does uh, Ross and Elizabeth's continued friendship annoy the ever-living shit out of anybody else? Or just me? Uh, <laughs> as a person who adores the books, um, oh, it's bothering the crap out of me uh it really really is and some of the shit that happened at the house the smiles the kisses to the back of her hand and the waving (laughs) she effing waved at him as he was leaving as if they were like school kids you know it's like wiggle the fingers bye Uh. oh my god But I can see why they've chosen to do this on the show. Um, It's an easy way to develop acrimony between Ross and George. I bet you thought I was going to say Ross and Demelza, didn't you? There could be some of that, but I think this is all tied to Ross and George this time around. Um, And uh, I think we'll see why starting with the next episode. I I just find it infuriating. It ignores the last two seasons of the damn show. Elizabeth has a very justified anger towards Russ, you know, because he left her pregnant and alone. And instead, she just seems like all buddy buddies with him. It feels disingenuous to their characters and all they've been through. I feel like Ross is supposed to have met, have learnt from his mistakes, from his experience on the other end of an extramarital affair. I mean, that's what they were supposed to be going with. But instead, he's doing the same exact shit he was doing in season two before all the mess went down. He's just hanging out with Elizabeth, fathering Geoffrey Charles to the detriment of his actual family. Where is the growth? Um, I honestly think that his desire to make sure Jeffrey Charles is safe has more to do with Francis and his uh, love for his um, late cousin than any lingering affections that uh, he could have for Elizabeth. Um, you know, I, I just think she happens to be part of the whole unpleasant bargain. I, I, don't, I don't think that it's... It's not reading the same to me that uh, Ross's visit with Elizabeth and Jeffrey Charles is the same, oh, I wish I had a more idealized life that it was back in series two. I think if that was the case, then the show should actually show him spending time with Jeffrey Charles and not Elizabeth. The way they've chosen to go about this is really strange. (laughs) He has yeah. like twenty seconds with Jeffrey Charles, and then like yeah. half an hour with Elizabeth. Okay. And I'll note because you know we can't have one of these uh, podcasts not <laughs> have a hashtag in the books moment that Ross doesn't have any contact with Elizabeth after that meeting in the church. So all of his encounters with Jeffrey Charles while uh, he's in London, happen without any kind of interaction with Elizabeth. Because honestly, why, why would it? Why would it? Yeah, there's not a whole mention of the whole 
kind of drunken uh, foolery that Jeffrey Charles is getting up to while he's in London on the show um, in the books. Um, yeah, I hear what you said, uh, Michelle, about Ross doing this to um, piss George uh, off. But uh, to me, uh, I mean, he cannot keep Demelza out of this. Uh, he can proclaim his love for her, just like he did at the end of series two. But to me, as long as he's keeping that connection with his ex-slash-mother of his unrecognized child, he's still cheating on Demelza emotionally, and that is so bothersome. Yeah, he's not telling Demelza that he's going around to visit Elizabeth, is he? Because he knows how she would respond. Yeah, that I totally agree with. You know, it's it's the the secret keeping that is so detrimental and so damaging to their, you know, tenuous uh, reconciliation. Bonkers in terms of continuity, because he just had an argument about seeing Elizabeth in the graveyard with Demelza. <laughs> and he's now, like, just going to her house, chilling. Like, uh, it doesn't make any sense. But moving on, still about Ross. Let's talk about Ross's moments with Valentine. <laughs> oh! Made me sofa king in infuriated. Uh, I'm glad I had to wait to watch the episode this week uh, because I think I would have broken a thumb attempting to live tweet my fury. Um, (laughs) um, And it would have been filled with incredible (laughs) misspellings. Um, (laughs) Could they have found a better mini Aiden to play Valentine? I mean, it's, it's creepy. Um, I just get breathless with anger when I think about how they have conflated this plot point so much. Uh, but hey, gotta have hashtag pure drama. I just, this is making me sad. Ross is occasionally nice to him now and again. She still never got like one tenth of the attention Ross just gave Valentine. Makes me worry about him. Like, how is he emotionally? Even more so when Ross and Demelza were saying goodbye and Ross just walked straight past the kids and got into the carriage uh, while he was saying something snarky about how the kids would leave them in 20 years. Like, Jeremy is not a baby. You know he can actually hear you, right, dude? He's right there. That's the kind of stuff that people hang on to, so, yeah. I'm just worried about him, you guys. I do not worry for Clarence, though, because she's a bad bitch and she can handle herself and I can just tell she got game. Oh, oh! I think the worst thing about the scene with Valentine uh, was when Valentine said "wait" to his governess so that they could have one more look with Ross, and um, which makes me think that when Valentine is going to get bigger, maybe he's going to maybe initiate contact with uh, with his biological father, and uh, my heart is going to break if and slash when George finds out. And um, speaking of George, I so wanted him to find out that Ross <laughs> had been hanging out with his wifey, but uh, Elizabeth is one lucky, you know, she's one lucky woman, so she always gets away with stuff. <laughs> How to get away with lying. <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, went back and watched the scene where they're leaving uh, Nampara for London, and Ross is actually Ross actually walks the children out of the house. So and then just drops their hands, up. like pat them on the head or something. 
I just think it's weird. I was like, okay, Demel's is hugging them. They're going to say goodbye to Ross. No, he's already in the carriage. Okay. He can't, he can't catch a break with you, can he? It was a strange acting choice. Okay, so how about Caroline's return home? Oh, how beautiful is this, you guys? I know. <sighs> I know that we love Romelza, but this was the emotional high point of the episode for me. I just love how they made quips about Dr. Patient shit, because you know that's their shared kink. <laughs> And I really loved how it was shot. It was just like sweeping and romantic, like a golden age movie scene. Bonus points for Horace standing next to them because Lama, he so ships them. He was like, I need to watch this. Oh God, I love Horace. Uh, my feels were broken by them this week. Uh, they broke my feels. It was awesome. And I am shipping Carolite so much, I think I may have to get Carolite tattooed on my left wrist because I'm doing Romelza on my right. Um, <laughs> the chemistry between these two is so awesome. Uh, and you could actually feel the joy they experienced in being with one another again. Yes, I was happy to see them reunited. I'm not saying I wanted them to remain separated, but... I feel like she was not away for that long, but who knows with hashtag polar time. Um, but um, I get that they brought her back for uh, like two episodes before the end. And uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, a new Caroline storyline <laughs> by the end of the series. One can dream. <laughs> Aww, you're cute. I know, I'm so sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's really cute, Delonda. <laughs> But anyway, I'm um, glad that uh, they found each other again, and uh, with Ross and Demelza in London, hopefully we have a new power couple in Cornwall. But, okay, here's what I don't get. Um, we have photos uh, from next week's episodes uh, are up on the Far, Far Away site, and thank you again for everything that you do to provide us with those glorious shots. Um, they They make me live. Anyhow, they show... Demelza and Caroline in London. So Ross and Demelza are only supposed to be gone for a month. So the coach that spent several days getting from Cornwall to London with one couple drops them off in London, then turns around to go get the Ennises and then bring them back in time for the <laughs> foursome to be in London all at the same time. Oh my god, the logistics on this show make me crazy. I got another one. Okay, so Ross was in Parliament, appeared to come back during some time in late summer because they are harvesting apples. Um, Parliament's actually in the winter, so what the hmm. fuck? And then there was, it was like summer when. Oh, Drake no. was swimming, then he walks 10 meters up to his, like, stupid shack that he's built because mm -hmm. his blacksmith yard shut down and it looks like the dead of winter. I'm like, when are we? What is time? Where, what's going on? I feel like there's been, like, 17 <laughs> seasons in the span of one episode. It's mad. Also, Moena's pregnant. and I'm confused. It, how many... It, how, how When... R Ross has been back <laughs> to London and back. Maybe it's still early. Like I don't get it. She's I'm not sure showing. It should have been week. like six months. 
Oh, and Elizabeth says she was giving birth in December, so it must be at the beginning of the years, but they're harvesting. Yeah. I'm sorry, I was trying to make sense of this. I know. I know. Oh my god. I know. Okay, moving on. Storylines. Let's talk about banking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the scene where all of the folks from Nampara and the mine converged to make deposits at the bank had me screaming with laughter. That was hilarious. Sam Khan. Sam Khan. Sam Khan needs to win all the awards. His acting in this scene outside the bank was amazing. Amazing. Also, I'm probably making this up, but I seem to remember that hashtag in the books, Uncle Carrie was the one who wrote to people and told them about the embezzlement that Pierce did. Am I right about that? Yeah, you're right. This was this was Carrie's baby all the way around. George was far too busy uh, being occupied by the borough buying. So, you know, it makes me wonder what Pasco did to Carrie to piss him off so damn much. I mean, it was from Carrie's perspective. Because it... Carrie, Carrie, in the, Carrie in the books never had that much of a, a hard-on to destroy Ross, yeah, did he? This has got nothing to do with Ross in the books. This is just a business decision. In the TV show, they decide to take down Pasco's just to get at Ross, which I find ridiculous. Uh, but either way, I think... The way the show handled this banking storyline was clunky. They had like a few episodes to set up the plot about the embezzlement, but instead they just went full throttle with it in this one. We got a rather heavy amount of exposition and really abrupt introductions of two new characters, one of whom was Ross's cousin. I mean, come on. And they tried to make this work by giving them all these exposition. And to be honest, I think people watching it who haven't read the books would have left a little confused thinking it was just another one of those George ruins Ross plots when in fact it when it was written by Winston it was more of a social commentary on how the banking system worked or often didn't work and how quickly and simply a financial crisis can hit. The fact of the matter is that Pasco was like a tiny tiny small Cornish bank and he was incredibly vulnerable to changes in the market and one small scandal was enough to undo years of his hard work because he wasn't large enough to sustain mass withdrawals. This is something that is made a hell of a lot more clear in the books. There was context for this with details about the financial crisis of the era and I think the show really missed a trick here by just making it about revenge. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we needed more Drowena. Come on, girl, get with the Ugh. program. Yeah, let's not explain the actual plot. Let's let's um let's have some more angst. So, as far as Ross versus George go, you know, since we're kind of talking a, a little bit about this, um, while I'm quite tired of the battle between these two, um, I did think that it was pretty masterful for the tensions to reach the point where George, in his overconfident preening glory inadvertently confirms himself as the writer of the anonymous letter. Uh, <laughs> you know, had he been able to keep his trap shut, um, it wouldn't wind up biting him in the ass in the end with, you know, Ross now a uh, partner in a bank, for God's sake. Uh, so, you know, well, well done, George. I'm a big fan of when Ross gets things handed to him for doing very little work. Honestly, every episode 
I'm more <laughs> and more Team George. So much. Yes. <laughs> I think it's the Slytherin in me. And I know you're a Slytherin too. So I guess we both. Yes. <laughs> we respect people who are meticulous and methodical and sneaky. I don't respect Ross for throwing <laughs> another massive hissy fit in public at a charitable event and looking like a crazy person. He almost started another freaking brawl. They're opening a freaking hospital. What are you doing, Ross? It makes him look like a child. I don't <laughs> care how angry you are at someone. You're an MP, for Christ's sake. You have to hold your shit together and act like he isn't bothering you. Because that's how you win. Jesus, you are a Slytherin, aren't you? Um, hashtag Badger Pride forever. Yes, I am a Hufflepuff in between two Slytherins here. Help me! Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and just because Ross has become an MP doesn't my doesn't mean he's gonna be all dignified as fuck. You know, dude is always gonna want to get into his scrap. Um, and in this case, it happened to reveal George's true stripes. Uh, I can't support anyone who has the kind of attitude he has about the lower classes. And his treatment and disregard for them is abominable. I will say, when you're an MP, you're not supposed to break yeah. the freaking law. And the amount of times Ross has now beat up somebody, which, by the way, is a crime, um, is a problem for me. <laughs> if I was one of his constituents, I would be calling for his resignation. They're both MPs. So this reminds me of like two years ago, there was a brawl in the Houses of Parliament. There's a bar there that I've actually been to. It's like a... Oh my God, seriously? I don't know if they shut it down now, but it's a really cool bar. Really tiny. There was a brawl between... Wow. They weren't MPs, but they were members of staff for the MPs. They both had to resign because of mm -hmm. the scandal. You're not expected to get into fights, especially not publicly. I mean, come on, Ross. <laughs> and this is just a long, just one of the long line of events that Ross will now get into. We will be speaking about this next week when he breaks the law again. <laughs> oh, Ross. <laughs> All right. So uh, since we're all about George right now. Why don't we talk about George and his yeah, wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Um, you know, the ease at which the lies roll off her tongue now, <laughs> it's just she's grown very confident in her schemes, hasn't she? That's scary. She's a Slytherin too, yeah. you know. I just feel like this is an insane thing to do, and I don't have any sympathy for her because I genuinely don't think this is remotely warranted. George is fine. Like, he even wants a girl. I.e. not another heir. And she's still holding on to this dumbass, dumbass idea that Ross gave her two years ago. Not because it's actually a good idea, but I think because she feels like if she has an eight-month baby, then she can lord it over George forever. Yeah, you know, I was going to say that seeing George's reaction to the baby it had knocked the entire idea of the eight-month baby out of her head. But then she goes and tells him that it's due in December. So it's like, dude, you don't have to go through all of this. The man is besotted with the idea that you are going to be giving him another child. So chill. 
allowing Ross into their home and offering him a drink, knowing how George feels about Ross and knowing it would upset him, was such a bullshit move. If Ross hated someone and had banned them from their home and then Demelza invited them over for tea, people would be furious. But Elizabeth gets away with murder. Hashtag burn the witch. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! That's radical. <laughs> mm-hmm. I couldn't help uh, but smile when George was uh, almost, maybe he squealed, but he was almost squealing uh, when uh, Elizabeth told him that she was um, with child. Um, this is a side of him that we practically never see, so it was so heartwarming. And uh, I was almost sad. No, I was not almost. I was sad when uh, clearly he wanted to share the happy news uh, with his uncle because it ha- and that had nothing to do with the uh, scheming or whatever. But uh, his uncle had to be a uh, boo. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yes, George can be the worst human being uh, in the world when it comes to business or just people that are not rich. Um, but, uh, I would love to have a husband treating me like George treats Elizabeth. And, uh, I don't mm. think she realizes, she realizes how lucky she is. And, um, yeah, sometimes I even think that George treats his wife better than Ross treats Demelza. Um, because I know we're going to talk about this later, but, uh, Ross made me so uncomfortable with his remarks about, um, Demelza's body again. I agree. Let's move on to Ramelza, though. <laughs> the mummy! <laughs> I know you're so glad that scene was included. But um, for me, I was just so annoyed it was at that point that this scene was kind of ruined for me. I needed it to come at the beginning of next week's episode. So, you know, oh. have, a ti- have time to calm down or something, you know. But that's just my hashtag Debbie Downer talking. It's okay, girl. Let your Debbie Downer flag fly. <laughs> um, and as I mentioned uh, right after the recap, it would have been great to see this in one meaty Romelza chunk at the top of the show next week. Um, I I loved the way that uh, Ross was looking at her in the mirror. Um, I thought that was that was really great and sexy and and yum yum yum. I thought it was great. It was great because I don't think we, uh, it is, uh, being mentioned enough that Ross actually finds his wife attractive. So it was a great reminder mm-hmm. of that, that they also have mm-hmm. a sexual connection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop talking, otherwise, Michelle is going to go wild. <laughs> I mean, uh, I loved, I loved the comment where, you know, she was talking about her nightgown and, and he, you know, looks at her in the mirror and he very kind of, quietly says you know do you need one (laughs) it was like oh god that was awesome and then when you know she says you know it's too light you know don't people don't look right you know when it's this light and you know he stops shaving looks at her for several seconds and then says i don't agree We've broken you. We've broken you. Okay, okay, Okay. sorry. (laughs) Moving on to another sexy couple. Yes, Caroline. I think we've been spoiled over the past few weeks with Caroline. 
Um, their reunion was very, very sweet, but it felt a bit rushed. After all that build-up, it seemed resolved really quickly. Yeah, we we only had a couple of scenes with them, you know, as they were coming together. I I thought the one with them in front of the fire was so beautiful, and the looks on their faces were so sweet. Um, you know, it was it was kind of like, ooh, they're newly married again. Um, but I think it's always going to be uh, rushed with the two of them because they're second fiddle to Romelza in this adaptation. Uh, I personally think we need a spinoff, damn it. Yes. It's sad to tell, to say, but uh, if we didn't get more Carolite screen time where they had this uh, big storyline with Sarah, then I'm afraid we will not get any more than what we already have and we should be content with that. So, uh... hashtag, what a waste of talent. Speaking of a waste of talent, <laughs> yeah. poor Morwenna is stuck in this storyline with Drake and Rosina. <laughs> um, can I be Rosina when I grow up? Because she's like the smartest <laughs> one out of the these three people. Um, you know, she just has her shit all together, and she is so serene about all of the misfortune that has has fallen on her head. I mean, you know, first she's supposed to marry this guy who winds up, uh, you know, being a, a spy uh, for the um, customs folks or whatever they are. They customs folks. Yeah. And he may or may not have been beaten to death. So exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, and in the, the first adaptation, I swear the miners <laughs> yeah, took did. him out to the cliffs and threw him over. So I mean, I mean, it's a, it's so she's supposed to marry that dude, and that's how that ends. And then she gets jilted by the second dude that is uh, supposed to marry her. Um, you know, the day of her wedding. You know, let's let's hope that the third time for her, whenever that happens, uh, is the charm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, that she's fantastic and I wanted to smack Sam upside the, his very, very pretty head for encouraging his brother to give Morwenna another try. I mean, where did that come from? Nowhere. I mean, that just seems like <laughs> such a random, uh, thing that I was just like, wait, did I miss something? And I remembered the second time I, wa I watched it, I watched it to see if I had indeed missed something. And shrug? Sam and Amelza have both fallen prey to abrupt character shifts to serve this never-ending war winner plot. Yay! I mean, one week they don't approve. Ugh. But the next they do. Way to make me hate this dumb plot even more. Just sacrificing my two favourite characters to this complete nonsense. Stop it. Hashtag, we miss you, Emma. <laughs> I miss Emma. We miss you, Emma. Moena being pregnant also registered as meh on the dramatic scales. It just felt like another melodramatic twist in a long series of them for this ship. Someone put them out of their misery and mine. Ah, uh, yes. I respect Rosina and her dignity so much because I know I personally would not be able to be in the same room as this dude without insulting him and probably attacking him. Shoving him off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yes, God. I was so, so 
so pissed when he was giving her these puppy dog eyes towards the end of the episode. Uh, I thought I was going <laughs> to smack him in the end, but luckily for him, there's a screen between us. So he's all right. <laughs> so politics. Oh, here comes Rita. Rita's favorite. So this week's political corner is rather short because despite spending most of his time in London, Ross appears to not be doing much other than cleaning up Jeffrey Charles's puke. But he did have a meeting with William Pitt, the younger. Fun fact, William Pitt was the second William Pitt to be Prime Minister. His father, who had the exact same name, bit awkward, was Prime Minister in the 1750s and 1760s. Junior was t- just 24 when he became Prime Minister, and by the time he met Ross, he would be in his late 30s, maybe 40, year o- 40 years old. It's hard to tell with hashtag Poldark time. Notice they cast an actor who did not look somewhere in his late 30s. Bit strange. Pitt's father was a Whig, but Younger was now what is now referred to as a new Tory because he favoured reform, Catholic emancipation, he invented income tax, and led Britain into the Napoleonic Wars. Sorry, Delonda. On the show, however, he was reduced to saying just complete platitudes about helping people, and he looked quite moody. I hear we're going to meet William Wilberforce next week, though, so (laughs) that's something to look forward to. I'm sure they're going to get that horribly, horribly wrong. Okay, so favourite scene? Uh, Demelza's acting troupe outside of Pasco's bank and just wonderfully <laughs> performed by the cast. I laughed my ass off, especially when Sam forgot his lines <laughs> and Demelza cut in to remind him. Bless him, he looked so confused. <laughs> I I, re- I love these little comic relief <laughs> moments. But I also loved George's reaction to finding out he was going to be a dad. For real this time. <laughs> And hoping it was the daughter, I think that proves he has no doubts about Valentine. For all his faults, I think he is capable of being a very devoted father. I'll give him props on that. Um, So for me, it was all of the Romelza moments, of course. Uh, We had a bunch of them um, that happened this episode, and they really warmed my heart. Uh, I'm including the family moments, too, uh, like when Ross embraces them all upon his return from London. Uh, the soft, oh, Jeremy, that he said uh, just about killed me. Um, I, I, I've I, got a big thing for Daddy Ross, so anytime he's with his kids, I just love it. And the Westminster moment. I had hoped that they would keep that one in because, you know, it, it demonstrates such a change in Ross's response to Demelza's efforts to help. Uh, remember how he responded to the Verity blamey elopement and how that helped to scuttle Carnmore? Well, you know, despite her best efforts this time, um, Demelza's lost him another 800 pounds, uh, which is 61,408 pounds wow. and 88 pence in today's money. Yeah, um, in that loan from Falmouth, that is going to have to be repaid. Yeah, you know, when you think about that and how he responded to, you know, her her clear dismay and worry over what she had done, you know, for him to say, you know, you are worth all Westminster and give her that kiss just made me die. <laughs> 
My favorite scene was Ross and Demelza's last scene of the episode and their first scene in London. It was simple, loving, playful, just the way we like these two. Mm-hmm. And as for least favorite scenes, I have to say that Ross calling Demelza skinny is starting to become a little uncomfortable to me. Now, in the novels, he would often mention her weight out of concern because Demelza had a bit of body dysmorphia and always worried she was getting fat whenever she was pregnant and tended to over-concern herself with looking thin. And Ross took a natural concern over that. But in the show, this entire aspect of her personality has been removed. For good reason, I think. I don't think it would have been a very good look in 2018 to have such an unhealthy relationship with someone's weight be so flippantly dealt with. But Ross's comments about her weight haven't been removed, and it's coming across kind of gross. Both times he's seen her for the first time in months, he's remarked on her appearance negatively, and he just sounds like an idiot, to be honest. Totally agree, Rita. Um, you know, this is, this is unfortunate that they've kept this in, um, <clears throat> you know, and this is another, uh, moment where we see how, uh, tinkering with one character while not addressing kind of the, 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 the mirror image of their, uh, counterpart makes for uncomfortable situations. Sorry, Ross, but my least favorite scene also involves you. Uh, my <laughs> least favorite scene was Ross meeting Valentine just because of the emotional weight that they put in that scene. That was unnecessary and angsty as if. <laughs> I expected them to do like a slow-mo hug and be like, my son. You're so dramatic. Oh my God. <laughs> I think I would have, I would have come through the computer if that had happened. How many tricorns would you give this episode? Um, you know, there are bits and pieces I could and did grumble about, <laughs> of course. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't be me. Uh, but I rather enjoyed this episode uh, more than the last two, that's for sure. So I'm going to give it four. 2.5 again. <laughs> I can't say I find this episode particularly memorable. I would give two tricorns. Like I said earlier, I got lost in the banking shenanigans, although it involved some pretty funny scenes. And uh, although we got uh, Caroline and Dwight back together again and uh, Ramelza off to London, I can't say that I would rewatch it. And I was uh, also bummed by how they used Tom York and that. Episode. If you find this confusing, try reading the books. I mean, the banking bit just went on for like seven centuries. There's a good like 200 pages just devoted to Demelza and Ross riding backwards and forth trying to sort this out. It's like, uh, I fell asleep. Okay, so it's time for Critics Corner. Want to know how television critics are responding to this episode? Well, this is the feature for you. Here we have a few snippets from our favorite reviews. First, let's start off with the Telegraph's review by Gerard. <laughs> Gerard O'Donovan. He gave the episode four stars and said... There's been too much misery in this fourth series of Paul Dark on BBC One. From the outset, things have tilted relentlessly towards the dark side. Uh, riots, hangings, pretty boy poet deaths, <laughs> little babe in arms deaths, even a pervert parson dead. <laughs> He's just desserts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not to mention all the usual penury, starvation, and general scrofulousness that made 18th century Cornish folk pay such a high price for all of those stunning coastal landscapes that they lived at their hard lives against and more. It's just not what you want from your Sunday night slice of swashbuckling hyper-romanticism. So, what a joy it was to watch an episode that accentuated life's positives for a change. T'was as if the series had magically returned to form, alive with wit, good humor, and the triumph of hope. Sadly, the next week trail that followed implied a reversion, a rever uh, reversion to my general misery next time round, but you can always live and hope that that won't happen. And either way, it was good to get a glimpse of the old electrifying cold arc once again. Then there was the Metro's review by Sarah Dean, who said, also back on track are our favourite foursome, Poddark and Demelza, and Caroline and Dwight. And all it took was an invite to London so they wouldn't be away from each other for so long. However, we're worried that the Poldarks are about to be threatened by outside forces once again. The series has been great at, ju at gradually pushing Poldark and his next nemesis into each other's orbit over the last few episodes. The unsettling monk Adley has been slowly circling Poldark like a shark that smells blood, first making nice with Elizabeth, then Caroline, then his nephew Geoffrey Charles encouraging his hard partying and other vices, getting closer and closer. Next week, he looks set to finally get his teeth into Ross via Demelza. Just like an episode of Love Island, Monk is going to try and turn her head to really piss Poldark off. Demelza is unused to the lavishness of the capital and looks like she could be easily led astray. I swear, yeah, when when they said uh, he's circling like a shark that smells blood, <laughs> like the Jaws theme is going through my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. And of course, our favorite reviewer, Louisa Mellor, writing for Den of Geeks, said, Months ago, when George Warlegan received the insider tip about Pasco's bank, he stashed it away like a malevolent little squirrel, storing evil hazelnuts for winter. <laughs> This week, he dug up his stash and prepared to feast, only to find that, ha, it choked him. One day, George will learn that his every bid to strike Poldark down only makes Ross stronger than he could imagine. Try to hang his brother-in-laws, Ross becomes an MP. Try to break his nest egg, Ross becomes a partner in a new banking conglomerate. Next week, tune in to see George stick a foot out in the House of Common to trip Ross up, only for Poldark to fall straight into the lap of William Pitt the Younger and instantly made Minister for Agriculture, Fisheries, and Food. Uh, she continues, or she continues later on by saying, "Compromise is the name of Elizabeth's game. She's truly content." She told Ross in their latest secret meeting. Elizabeth and George have worked out a system for their marriage whereby he hides his pettiest evil schemes from her, <laughs> and she takes opium. The stopper has gone in Elizabeth's opium vial for the foreseeable future, though, as she's with child again, George's child, to be clear. Steady on, Liz, with three children by three different fathers. You're this close to being the subject of a disapproving Sarah Vine column. George was so thrilled with the news of his new progeny that he stopped saying the phrase, 
Ross Poldark's entire life savings, like Dr. <laughs> Evil says, one million dollars. Ross Poldark's entire life savings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And instead started fussing over whether Elizabeth was taking enough folic acid. Even Uncle Doom delivering the news of Ross's latest coup couldn't bring him down. The pregnancy led to more disassembling from Poldark's women as Elizabeth decided to take Ross's advice and fudge the dates. Her goal is to make George believe that all her babies are, like Valentine, born bonny and strong of teeth and bone at the age of eight months thanks to her super-powered womb. <laughs> we encourage you all to go read these reviews, especially the Den of Geek ones, on their respective websites. And now let's move on to messages. Podark Hart said, It was a filler episode before Melza got up to their London shenanigans. <laughs> Quite literally. Uh, the three things that bothered me all concern Ross. One, how he looked at Valentine in those 20 seconds was more than he'd have ever done in Jeremy's whole life. Hashtag poor Jeremy. Two, that he was even in Elizabeth's house toasting their, quote, friendship. Maybe Demelza should have some toasting sessions by Hugh Armitage's grave. How would he feel about that, I wonder? <laughs> pour, pour one out pour one out for for number Hugh. three ross again <laughs> stating that demelza's worth as a wife to him is that she can skin a rabbit and get her hands dirty three and a half tricorns still an enjoyable episode and though it's cliche now it's still put a smile on my face when ross in the face of adversity and george's scheming still managed to get one up on george moving on to instagram we had a couple messages the first one from Wawan Ali, who said, compared with uh, episode 5 from last week, particularly a slow jam, my head is not spinning this time. And the second message from Loba Mama, who said, I know George is evil and everything, but does anyone else's heart hurt a bit every time Elizabeth lies, deceives, emotionally manipulates, and gaslights him? It's cringeworthy. I don't know how she sleeps at night. I've never seen an Eliz I've never been an Elizabeth fan, past general entertainment factor as a character, but this is getting nuts. Her evil factor has become way more intense, in my opinion. And now she's accepting, accepting secret meetings with Ross? When will the madness stop? Overall, a fantastic episode, and a huge shout-out to Elise Chapel for her performance, and to the wonderful Romelza moments we got to see. Love the flirting at the end. Yes. Hashtag all the heart eyes. Um, from email, uh, absolutely addicted polodarchy said... Uh, the Romelza in London sheet scene has made me so happy and with such perfection that it is almost made up, it is mostly made up for stupid Elizabeth, stupid Ross at Elizabeth, meeting Valentine, hashtag not in the books, stupid Drake, evil Uncle Carrie Warleggin. And we had another email from Julia. She said, hi ladies, loving the current season of Poldark and never miss our weekly podcast. Yay! Um, I'm giving episode 6 3.5 tricorns. I'm not overly keen on the Elizabeth Ross Jeffrey Charles storyline. Love Dwight and Caroline and Caroline and Ross's interaction in London and Journey Home. Rita, you're my kindred spirit. If I have to watch one more frame of Drippy Drake mooning over Moena, I'm going to have to throw something at my TV. My 13-year-old daughter feels the same. Yay! <laughs> Sorry, Harry Richardson, not enjoying his scenes at all. 
whether with Morwenna or Rosina. Pasco's back. Whoop. Is it weird to be missing Ozzy? But I guess Monk is going to pick up, if briefly, where Ozzy left off in the villainous stakes. He's so slimy. I loved the Ramelza scene, despite the lack of fury by Ross over the Pasco bank rescue effort, a la book, and of course the end scene. But I was initially a bit disappointed that they hadn't saved it for next week, as it seemed a little tacked on and rushed, aimed more at sexy than the fun jokiness from the book. But hey-ho, it was great, and I'm expecting gloom by the end of next week. I completely agree with this email, by the way. Uh, Special mention for Carrie. He makes me laugh in the way Agatha used to. And sorry, Jack, George is a little same-old, same-old these days, but I'm very happy to see how joyously he looked at the new... He took the news of Liz's pregnancy. A touch of humanity at last. Okay, thank you, Jules. Tumblr, uh, we had a comment from... Little Ross Poldark in our ask box. Ah, the bedsheet scene. Winston Graham's dialogue in the books is wonderful, is wondrous, but Debbie Horsfield's in the show is even better. Uh, hashtag unwrap me at your leisure anytime. <laughs> okay, um, over on Facebook, Sue R said, I would like to say how much I've enjoyed season four and last night's episode was the best so far. The characters are all moving on and the transition has been brilliant. Two scenes in particular deserve a special mention. Firstly, when Ross met Valentine and secondly, the bedroom scene in London. Beautiful. Teresa B said, It was the best yet. More positive feelings between Ross and Demelza. I wonder though if he told her of his helping Jeffrey Charles in his meetings with Elizabeth. Oh, you don't need to wonder. <laughs> okay, Demelza would have said It something. ain't happening! Um, they do appear. To, they do appear to be just friends, though. Oh, that makes it okay then. <laughs> They're just friends, you guys. <laughs> Jan A said, "Love season four so oh. much." Uh, finally, for all you history junkies out there, and I'm raising my hand. Uh, there's a great article that talks about the history of London during Ross's time in Parliament by Hannah Grigg, who's the historical consultant for the show. Uh, I retweeted it to the podcast uh, Twitter feed, so please go read it. It is marvelous. Now, let's move on to next week's episode, episode 7. Okay, episode description. Ross grows furious at Adelie's unwanted advances to Demelza and resorts to violence. Again. Of course. (laughs) A confrontation that results in his being formally challenged to a duel. George is delighted at the prospect of imminent fatherhood and makes plans to host a charity ball. But his and Elizabeth's newfound marital bliss is disrupted by Jeffrey Charles. So what are you looking forward to in next week's episode? You know, I was really looking forward to Russ and Demelza's adventures in London. But by looking at the trailer, it seems it's going to come to an abrupt and rather quick end. So I guess we can expect about five minutes of screen time. I'm looking forward to those five minutes, I guess. The rest is bound to infuriate me. Um, the disruption. Uh, I will be living for the disruption. I can't wait for George versus Jeffrey Charles. Yay. So, we have reached the end of the show, but we'll be back next week recapping and discussing episode seven. Uh, if you want to get involved with us, then follow us at Poldark Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
message us on our Tumblr or email us at poldarkpodcast at gmail.com and you can be read out on the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, yo. Yeah, yo. Moolala. Yeah, yo. Bitch, better have my money. Y'all should know me well enough. Bitch, better have my money. Please don't call me on my blood. Pay me what you want me. Ballin' bigger than LeBron. Bitch, give me your money. Who y'all think y'all frontin' on? Like, blah, blah, blah. Louis 13 and it's all on me. Like blah 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 Pay me what you want it Don't act like you forgot Bitch better have my money Bitch better have my money Pay me what you want it Bitch better have my money.